Last week we talked about this. We talked about this truth. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, we live in a world where we are condemned by so many things. We are condemned because of our appearance. We are condemned because of our abilities or our lack thereof. It is so easy for us to fall short and then therefore be condemned by other people. We are condemned by what we do for a living. Oh, what do you do for... Oh... You're one of those guys, right? We are condemned for so many things in this world. And last week we realized this incredible truth. That for all of those who are in Christ Jesus, we stand not guilty before God. Through faith in Christ because of the obedience of Christ. We stand before God as not guilty through faith but because of the obedience of of Christ, And we talked in, in detail about what it means to be in Christ as Christ stands perfectly in the middle for us. And kind of where we ended last week, and, and I want to do a review each week of this series because Romans is not just a set of separate thoughts that can be neatly divided into six weeks. Uh, it, is a, it is a whole uh, scope of thought uh, that moves forward, and so I want to catch us up each week. What we landed on last week, and some of you will, will remember this, is I encouraged all of you, many of you who would say, you know, I am not a preacher, but I encouraged all of us to begin preaching to the devil when he starts to condemn us. And so he may say to us and he may whisper in our ear, he may say, you are unlovable. And we can take that kind of half truth and realize, you know what? We are broken. You know what? We probably are guilty. But if we're in Christ, we're not guilty. And so thank you, devil, for reminding me that I'm actually unlovable. But because of Christ and in Christ, nothing can separate me from the great love of God. And that's what that song talks about. His love absolutely never fails. And so we can take the the condemning uh, lies and half-truths of the devil that he tries to give us, and we can start preaching to him and give him the full scope of God's word. You're unlovable, but nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The devil may say, you don't have what it takes. And you may say, that's right, on my own, I don't. But through Christ, who is my source of strength, I can do all things through him. And so the message yesterday, and Paul's message, I think, is that one where our standing before God has changed in order that or so that we can go and live in victory in this life. Amen? It was a great truth of God. Today, I want to talk about some of the nuances of of language that Paul uses in Romans chapter 8, where he talks about the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. Now, he introduced this idea in the very last part of verse 4, which we didn't talk about last week. Uh, And then he expounds on it in verses 5 through 11, which we're going to look at. So we're going to kind of pick up on the very last part of verse 4 and walk through verse 11. As we look at what does this mean when he talks about being in the flesh and being in the spirit. And so there's a... uh, So I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 8 verses 5 through 11. I'm going to be reading from the TNIV, uh, but for purposes of, of our discussion and the language here, it's going to be just a tad bit different from what you see here on the screen. Uh, but it says this, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. 
Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. For the mind controlled by the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. For the fleshly mind is hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. For those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the flesh but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life. Because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. Let's talk about this. Now, it's easy when we come to a, 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 a passage like this where we have this kind of language of flesh and spirit and flesh and spirit. It's easy for us to begin to understand that, that this is a way of saying that the flesh or the physical is bad and that the spirit or the spiritual is good. Flesh is bad and spiritual is good. That's the easy way to come to this passage and begin to understand it. But I want to start unpacking this by first saying, here's what Paul is not talking about when he uses the language of flesh and Spirit, flesh and spirit. And even though it may seem like it, and we're going to walk through this today, I would argue that Paul is not talking when he says flesh about that which is purely physical. Yes, it may include that which is physical, but he's not primarily talking about uh, the flesh which, which sort of that we have as our bodies, the flesh and bone, nor is he talking about necessarily this sort of physical world and saying we can't live according to all of that. In the same way then, Paul is not saying when he says spirit, he is not talking in the sense of that which is spiritual or non-physical. Right? And, and the reason that we can say this, well, well, we'll get to that. Let me unpack that a little bit. <clears throat> if we come to this passage and we understand flesh and spirit in this way, flesh, that which is physical, spirit, that which is non-physical or in the spiritual sense, then we come to this passage and we have to say then, or the temptation is to say then, that that which is material, that which is physical, this world that we inhabit, this body that we inhabit is, is necessarily bad. And then conversely, the spiritual things or that which is non-physical is necessarily good. And, if, and, and essentially, if we understand it in this way, then Paul's message becomes, and I know this is heavy stuff right at the, right at the beginning of a message, but stick with me. If we understand it in this way, then Paul's essential message becomes, if we could just get a handle on how to live according to the non physical things and reject the physical things, then we'll be further ahead in our faith. And I would argue that this has been one of the downfalls of the way that modern Christianity has been presented to people. It it makes the gospel into a a purely spiritual exercise in which we agree with the facts of the gospel with our, our minds, we believe with our hearts, and then we live according to our soul. 
And, and, and all everything becomes non-material. The way in which we talk about faith, the way in which we live out our faith, if we could just get our soul in line with God, if we could just get our soul saved, yes, souls and people need to be saved and repent before Christ. Don't misunderstand me. But the way in which we live or we operate in our Christian lives is we strip the faith of anything physical. We believe with our head, we, we sort of live with, by our soul and, and we are touched or uh, we sort of believe with our heart. So, if in the end we're going to sort of ditch this physical world in favor of a non-physical world, then it is best to start living right now in a purely spiritual way, right? Do you see where I'm going? If we understand Paul's message, then that is essentially what, what we are told. Since we're going to ditch this physical world anyway, and since we're going to ditch our, spiritual bo- or our physical bodies anyway, then we ought to just go about living right now in purely spiritual ways and, and reject anything that is physical. Are you with me? Many of you look confused. I hope that by the end of today, you will not be confused. That's my goal. <laughs> Based on your level of confusion right now, my goal has now become that you are not confused at the end of the day. Okay? So, stick with me. Stick with me. The idea here, and and I think that the way that many of us have understood faith, is that we're going to ditch this physical world and our physical bodies. We need to live right now in purely spiritual ways uh, because that which is physical is of no value. But let me say this to you. Paul cannot imagine any form of human, human life without a physical body. Whether that is the the physical mortal body that all of us are inhabiting right now, or whether it be our our transformed and glorified body at the end of the age, Paul always has in mind the physical. He He is never rejecting and saying that we ought to live in purely spiritual ways because the physical is of no value. Paul is always saying, how can we take that which is physical right now and broken and let us celebrate the redemption of the physical that is in Christ? So he does not talk about ditching the physical world. He talks about it being redeemed. Are you with me now? No, that's all right. You'll be with me by the end. You'll be with me by the end. 1 Corinthians is a good example of this, where Paul talks about our resurrected body being modeled after the resurrected body of Christ, where we move from the mortal bodies in which we now inhabit to our glorious body. So Paul does not reject the physical, but rather says that because of the redemption of Christ, that which is physical, both ourselves and the world, will be transformed. And how different that is from the message that we so often hear of just making it through this horrible physical world so that we can trade it up for a non-physical world. Some of you are shaking your head and, and, and shaking your head in, in encouragement, and that does encourage me. So that's what Paul is not talking about. So flesh and spirit, man, well, that, that's how I would understand it. So, so tell me, Pastor, what is he talking about? I mean, you can't just leave me hanging like that, right? If he's not just talking about physical and non-physical or in the spiritual sense, then what in the world is he talking about? Well, I love the way that the, the NIV, the TNIV talks about and, and uses this Greek word that we sometimes understand as flesh. And you saw it up here on the board, right? It didn't say flesh when I was saying flesh. What did it say, those of you who are paying attention? 
The sinful nature. So when, so see, if we were talking purely about the physical form, wouldn't we want to under, wouldn't we under, un, wouldn't we want to understand it and translate it simply as the flesh? But the TNIV and the NIV have gone on to say he's not just talking about that which is physical. He's talking about a greater reality in the world. He's talking about not a way of being, but a way of living. That which is driving us. And he's saying those who live according to the sinful nature. That's precisely what's being talked about. And so when you hear the word flesh, don't understand that which is physical, although it includes that. Don't make it exclusively that. Begin to understand it in a much broader scope that says this is living in a way that is feeding and fueling and paying attention to the sinful nature. It is, the, it is the way of talking about the way of life in which the sinful nature is king in our lives. And so we could also frame it in terms of self-sufficiency or self-rule. Because the sinful nature will always tell you this. You are number one. And you are all that counts. And what Paul says is when we live like that, we're living according to the flesh. When we're living only for our own gain, when we are are saying yes to every inclination that we have, when we cannot say no to that which our sinful nature desires, Paul says we are living according to the flesh or we are living according to the sinful nature. Now, we begin to understand this when we see all the, the kinds of, of sin and the outward things that we could see in our lives, right? I mean, what's, what's the, um, the sort of the thing behind the thing when it comes to prom- sexual promiscuity? It's I don't have the ability to say no to this temptation. Or it's I, I want to feel good about myself and I'm reaching out for it in these ways. It's always centered on you. But, but, but the way that God has designed our, our, our sexuality is not to be centered on us, but to be centered on the one to whom we are giving our, ourselves away to. That this act is not to be one in which we are, are, the, are uh, the receiver, but, in we, what, but that we are the giver then. Right? And so what happens is that God has given us this great gift. The sinful nature has flipped it and made it about us. And we could use a hundred other examples, but I think that's probably one that that speaks most into our culture and where our world is at right now. And so Paul, for for Paul, the flesh is self-sufficiency, self-rule, the sinful nature, that which is always driving us to make ourselves number one. Another way that this plays out in our world is that Hollywood says it's it's really important and it's really popular right now to go and to serve others. But are they serving others for the good of the others? Or are they really serving others? And be careful of this because sometimes this this can sneak into our lives. Are we serving others so that we can be built up? Or are we serving others for the glory of God alone and for his kingdom? Living according to the flesh and this fleshly living is not that which is just physical that we can touch and feel. It's, It's much more powerful than that. It's living in a way that makes ourselves Number one, some of you um, may have understood, understood the different na- the aspects of sin. And I know this, is, this feels a lot like teaching. Bear with me today. Bear with me today. 
We can understand sin in two ways. We can understand it as an act. I did this act which was sinful. We can also understand sin as a power in our life. That there's this thing that is always driving us to act in sinful ways or commit sinful acts. What Paul is talking about here when he says the flesh is sin as a power in our lives. Which is precisely what I was speaking to when I said uh, it's this sort of self-rule or self-sufficiency is king in our lives. Well, conversely then, what is Paul talking about when he talks about the spirit? Is he, is he really just talking about those things that, that, that are in a spiritual sense? Absolutely not. When he uses the word spirit, and again, I love what the TNIV here does, is it capitalizes spirit. When he's talking about the spirit, he is not talking about that which is purely spiritual. He's talking about the, the third person of the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit of God. That we live according to the Holy Spirit. We live in line with the Holy Spirit. Where it's no longer about what, it's no longer about us and answering every inclination or doing everything that the sinful nature desires and allowing that to be king and to rule in our lives. He's rather conversely saying we've got to come to a place in our lives and in our faith because of the work of Christ where the Spirit of God takes the reins of our life. Where we seek only to please Him. Where we seek to follow His guidance. Where we seek His wisdom in situations. This is what he's talking about when he talks about spirit. He's not talking about living in ways that are spiritual. Because, well, let's just be honest. You can be spiritual without being Christian. And in fact, that's, that, that's quite in vogue now, to be spiritual. It, it, it's quite cool to consider the physical world of no value and try to connect to uh, something that is non-physical. Isn't that, I mean, that, that's kind of cool. And if you were to talk in those ways, you would come across many people in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods that would say, yeah, me too. I'm spiritual. Right? Paul is not simply calling us to a higher spirituality. He's calling us to connect to the Spirit and the Spirit of God. He is exclusively and purely Christian in his way of talking. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, he, he, he kind of, he, he talks about us being in the Spirit and then the Spirit of God being in us. There's always this, this kind of way of, of, are you in the Spirit? Is the Spirit in you? And you kind of get, get this sense of, of, of this relationship, this, this relationship that goes both ways. The Spirit is indwelling us. We are finding ourselves in the Spirit. It's this walk, it's this dance with the Holy Spirit of God and seeking a, a way of life that would follow Him, that would uh, be given over to His instruction, that would listen to Him, to, that would walk in obedience with Him. It, it's all these sort of things that are, are, are a denial of self. And in denying ourselves and walking in step with the Spirit, we become more alive and more ourselves than we could have ever been when we were the King. Are you with me? Does that make sense? And that's precisely what Paul goes on to say. And let's, let's, now that we understand the terminology, let's kind of walk through the passage and how he uses this, right? At the very end of, of verse 4, we are introduced to this idea of walking in the flesh or in the, in, in walking in the spirit. The sinful nature and the spirit. So we're introduced to the idea and he says, Christ has done all of this and those of you who are in Christ 
And, and, and he, we've done all this so that, right, this is the, the this is sort of, the, he's trying to nail it home, so that, in, or in order that, the just requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who walk not according to the flesh or the sinful nature, but who walk according to the Spirit. So being in Christ, walking in step with the Spirit, we're introduced to the idea. And, and, and Paul knows that he needs to unpack this a little bit, which is precisely what he does in verses 5 through 11. He says this, verses 5 through 11, For those who live according to the sinful nature, or according to the flesh, have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, the Greek here is, is much less friendly than what we have come to understand in our English. When, when we come to and we say those who sort of live according to or walk in step with, what Paul says is he doesn't leave, he doesn't leave us that room of living or walking in accordance with. He, essentially, the Greek says those who are of, of the flesh or are fleshly and those who are according to the Spirit. So he, he kind of takes out that, that practical living according to or walking in step with. Those who are, are of the flesh or those who are according to the Spirit think in these ways. In other words, the, the idea here is that the flesh personified in our lives or lived out in our lives thinks a certain way. That if you're living or if you are according to the flesh, then your thought life, your thinking will be followed according to what you are. If you are according to the Spirit, then that which you think will also be in line with the Spirit. He says the flesh personified thinks in a certain way, which then becomes embodied in particular actions, and so it is with the Spirit. And I wonder why when we have this sort of connection between thoughts and actions that Paul is making here, I wonder if that is why in other parts of Scripture, both Paul and Jesus talk about our lives bearing fruit. Right? I mean, if you are of the flesh, then you are going to think in fleshly ways. If you are uh, of the Spirit, then you're going to think in, in ways that are in line with the Spirit. And the way in which we think is going to align itself or going to uh, personify itself in, in our actions. They're, they're making a very close connection between our thought life and our actions. Which is, of course, why Paul goes on to say uh, elsewhere that we ought to think on Things that are noble and honorable and praiseworthy and good. Because there is a close link between our connection, or, or our, there's a close connection between our thought life and the way in which we live. And for many, for many of you, this will be a good sort of, of um, good way to see where are we at or where are you at in our lives with Christ. What is it that consumes your thoughts? And does it display itself to be more where the sinful nature is ruling or more where the Spirit of God is ruling? Because where the Spirit of God rules, the flesh can sneak in, but the flesh will soon be convicted by the Spirit of God who reigns. Right? Many of you have commented on my jacket today of its military um, sort of persona or patch. 
And uh, I don't know anything about the patches and the ranks. Some of you came in and, and said, Ooh, Major, you know, Sergeant Major, you are in charge, right? Or, or some have said, you're, just, you're, you're upside down, right? Some have said that. But the idea being is, if what's the highest rank? Somebody help me out. Is it Sergeant? General. general. If you're the general, you've got to forgive my ignorance, right? No condemnation. That's what we talked about last week. If the Holy Spirit is general in your life, then when the flesh and the way of the flesh sneaks in, the Holy Spirit will convict the flesh and won't allow that. In the same way that if you're around the general, you can't mess around. Right? But if the general were just kind of there and you were pushing him back and pretending like you were in charge or the flesh was in charge, then the flesh is king and acting as general. The idea here is who has the seat of your heart. Who's actually in charge? And Paul says our thoughts are connected to our actions. And so what I'm saying is a great way to decide who's actually in charge is to look at our thought life. That's what Paul is talking about. He explains this in verse 5. Let's move on to verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8, I want to read them again. The mind controlled by the sinful nature or the flesh is death, but the uh, mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind or the fleshly mind is hostile to God and does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so, for those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. He essentially says this, the thinking of the flesh is characterized by death. And the thinking that is of the spirit is characterized by life and peace. In other words, if we, if we allow our, our sinful nature to be the general in our lives, it is going to lead us into death. Which he says earlier in chapter 3, right? For the wages of sin is death. And so if we're living in ways that are according to the flesh, where our sinful nature is acting as the general of our lives, then that way of thinking, that way of living, is going to be characterized by death. But the opposing thing is, if we are living with the Holy Spirit as the general of our lives, then our thinking and our lives will be characterized by life and peace. That does not mean that you will never face any struggle in your life or in your Christian life. It will mean that there is a peace of Available to you in the midst of unthinkable chaos. It will mean that in the midst of of unforgivable actions, there is still life available to you because of the Spirit of God is equal to life and peace. And where He is, there simply cannot be death because of the resurrection where death was finally and ultimately defeated. And so there may, it doesn't mean that you won't face any trouble. It doesn't mean that you won't have any hardship. It means that there will be a mark of life and peace in our lives as we live according to the Spirit, regardless of what hardship and what trouble and what challenge that we face. That there is a life and a peace made available to you as the Spirit indwells in you and as you live in the Spirit. And I like that, that sort of imagery of dancing with the Spirit. Some of you need to get off of the sideline and begin dancing with the Spirit. The thinking of the flesh is characterized by death, but the thinking of the Spirit is characterized by life and peace. Let me give you a snapshot of the thought process that Paul is walking through in verses 6 through 8. Flesh thinking is death, 
Spirit thinking is life and peace because flesh thinking is hostile to God, whereas spirit thinking is at peace with God and it is at peace with you. And you are therefore being indwelt by the Spirit, both in the present or in the present. And because you are indwelt by the Spirit in the present, you are assured resurrection life in the future. But that resurrection life in the future is anticipated in your life today. In other words, it's not just a future thing. Yes, it is the assurance of a future that is rock solid as we walk in step with the Spirit. But because that future is so rock solid and so assured for those of you who walk according to the Spirit, then we are given and made available that life today where we can anticipate that future. It's a beautiful, beautiful message that Paul is sharing of fleshly living and spirit living. Let's walk through verses 9 and 10. Is this helpful? Verse 9, it says, You, though, are not controlled by the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God is in you. The if here is a little iffy. And the NRSV says, since. And that's a little too certain. The the Greek here is actually, if we look at verse 9, it says, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. The Greek lands perfectly in the middle between if and since. We could translate it, if after all. Or, if as is indeed the case. So, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed, if, as is indeed the case, the Spirit of God lives in you. In other words, for those of you who have, have accepted Christ and you're walking in step with Him, the great news for you today is that you are no longer controlled by the sinful nature, you are no longer controlled by the flesh. Sometimes we like to to diminish the power of the cross by saying that when we come to accept Jesus Christ in our lives and we're walking in step with Him, that the flesh still rules in our life. And the only thing that has changed is that God is turning a blind eye to that. And that's simply not the case. That's not Paul's message. Paul's message is when you are in Christ and you're walking in step with the Spirit, it isn't that just God is turning a blind eye to the general of the flesh in your life. It's that the Holy Spirit of God becomes the general. Come on, somebody. That's good news. (laughs) If you want me to yell, I can yell. Because I haven't even started yet. See, we're not in double services yet, so I only got one service to preach. Which means I can give it all I got. I don't have to hold anything back for the next crowd. Because you all are the crowd, okay? So, you got to be with me, all right? The general moves in. You are no longer controlled by the flesh. And so when we accept Christ, it just isn't that, it isn't that everything around us changes, right? If you're here today and, and you're thinking about walking in that, that line or that life of faith, you're, you're thinking about accepting Christ, your, your hope may be that everything around you will suddenly change because of Christ. You're hoping that when you go to that party or when you hang out with your friends, that they'll no longer tempt you to do the things that you know you shouldn't do. You're hoping that if you accept Christ, your husband will change. You're hoping 
hoping that your wife will change. You're hoping that when you go to work tomorrow morning, if you accept Christ today, that all of a sudden your boss won't be wacko. You're hoping that when you get together with relatives this holiday season, that they won't be absolute loonies because you accepted Christ. The truth of the gospel and what Paul is saying here is that what is around you doesn't change. You're still going to go to that wacko boss tomorrow. When you go to to class, your fellow students are still going to be tempting you to do the things that you shouldn't do. What changes is something inside of you when you accept Christ. Paul says to the church in Corinth and and to the Christians in Corinth that when they accept Christ, they are made into a brand new creation. Why is that? It isn't because the flesh still rules and God is just turning a blind eye to that. It's because there's a brand new general in town. And he's the one calling the shots now. And and, and this general, he is not one who is out to get you. This general is one who demands respect. This general is one who is an honor to follow. It is a general who, it, it, it is your honor to obey and to walk in step with him because you know that he has your best interests in mind. And when you're going to do something that's out of line with what he would want for you, he's going to call you out on it. And sure, you could obey or you could disobey, but he's got your best interests in mind. And it may be uncomfortable what he asked, to, uh, asked you to do. But it will always be for your best. There's a new general in town. Is what Paul's message is. You have become a new creation. Verse 10. If after all you are in the spirit. Then the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Sometimes we like to think that the spirit will give life. If I do all the right things. If I am righteous. Right? We talked last week that we live in a culture where we are defined by what we produce and how good we are. And so we come to a passage like that and we say, man, if I'm just righteous enough, the Spirit will give life because of righteousness. But let me tell you, it ain't your righteousness. The Spirit gives life because of His righteousness. It is a free gift made available to you that Christ has walked in obedience to the cross, has been resurrected, defeated death, and now because of His righteous obedience, the Spirit is able to give you life. Because he has defeated death. The righteousness is of Christ, not our own. The life that we receive is not dependent upon our ability to behave or perform. It is dependent upon the fact that he has already behaved and performed. And and listen to this. The work of Christ changes our standing before God. We are declared not guilty. But the indwelling of the Spirit gives us power to live into what is already true about us. Let me say that again. The work of Christ, death on the cross, resurrected, changes our standing before God so that when we place our faith in Him, we are in fact declared not guilty. But the indwelling of the Spirit is that which empowers us to live into what is already true about us so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Does that make sense? Our standing has changed, and then we are empowered toward that change. All right, verse 11, I am almost done. 
Verse 11 says this. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Verse 11, we have, been, we have experienced renewed life and we will experience renewed life just as Jesus Christ did. You and I will be raised in a brand new body that moves from mortal to glorious. But more than that, our current lives can anticipate that reality. We have this sure future this sure resurrection for those of us who are living and walking in spiritual and and ways according to the Spirit. And then because of that sure reality, we can anticipate that future right now. In other words, you don't have to just live in captivity to sin and to the flesh because we will one day share in the resurrection. We can right now undergo the transformation where our minds are shaped in accordance with the Spirit. There is obedience made available to you. There is power made available to you. How many of you have seen the the, uh, Heaven is for Real books? And there's a book called Heaven is for Real. But uh, there's a real popular uh, thing now that heaven is, in fact, for real. These books tell us that that heaven sort of can't be reached or experienced, but it is real, right? They want to assure us that heaven is real because the... The underlying message is that we can't experience it or we can't reach it right now. And the intended response is, of course, hope that we will one day see the beauty of God's perfect world. I want to tell you today that heaven is real. Indeed, I agree. And Paul's message confers that. Heaven is real. But there's this sense that says, but you don't have to wait for it. Now, you do have to wait for it to experience in all of its fullness and in all of its beauty. But there's a piece, there's a sliver, there's an evidence that's made available to you right now. He essentially says the resurrection of Christ is real and it has ushered in a brand new world. And if you will live in accordance with the Spirit, if you will be in the Spirit, then you can experience life and peace. Isn't that what all of us long for when we think about heaven? Is we think about this, this peace, the end of chaos. And what we get to experience is not the end of chaos, but peace in the midst of chaos. The evidence that heaven is indeed real. And we get to experience a sliver of it. Life in the midst of death, peace in the midst of chaos. These are evidence that heaven is in fact breaking in all around us. And whether you use the terminology of heaven or the kingdom of God, the reality is it is now breaking in because Christ has done his work and the spirit indwells us. Now I wonder if all of this could be like a brand new exodus. Right? I mean, in the Old Testament, people were enslaved by a power so great that they could not defeat it on their own. But God, who is ever faithful to his people, sent one to free them and placed them on a journey toward the promised land. I wonder if this is sort of like that. Or perhaps more appropriately, I wonder if that 
was kind of like this. And that is what we'll talk about next week.